This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's happening, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of Field Note Fridays, powered by Bowtech. Refuse to follow. On today's episode, we have a returning guest that was on the Hunt Stand podcast a few weeks ago to talk to y'all about keys to mule deer hunting success. And that's Mr. Joe Cavanaugh. And if you listen to that podcast, then you know that he drew a bighorn sheep tag up in Colorado, chasing after those with his bow. And so... To make a long story short, Joe was successful and he was able to get it done. And so we're going to get Joe on here to talk about that hunt, kind of walk us through, you know, the mindset of what it takes to get prepared for this hunt, walk us through how the shot went down and just anything and everything between when it comes to this hunt for Joe. And so we're excited to talk to him about that. Again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. We really appreciate the support and we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, brother. Well, Joe, man, first and foremost, brother, just want to welcome you back to the podcast, man. You just downed a superb animal. I think it's a <laughs> a thing that a lot of people, uh, they really strive to go after and you got a tag and you killed it. And so I want you to tell yeah. listeners what you did, man. <laughs> well, first off, thanks for having me, uh, back on and, and, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, but, um, but yeah, I guess I got one of those coveted tags. Not, I guess I did get one of the coveted tags. We actually talked about in our last podcast that mm-hmm. this year for me was going to be a little bit, uh, different in from my scouting schedule because I drew a Colorado bighorn sheep tag and, um, you know, kind of put the, uh, put it out there. I was able to, I was able to kill one. So I think that's why we're, uh, we're here. So. You know, that's, uh, that was something that I found out early, I guess kind of early summer, I guess late spring is when the, uh, the tags were ultimately sent out. And I was, uh, 
quite surprised to see see my name um, or see the email come from the Colorado Parks and Wildlife that I had drawn the uh, successful bighorn sheep tag. Dude, so, um, you and your buddies yeah. must have done something right. Like, y'all need to go to Vegas because, I mean, what, Fred <sighs> drew it three years ago or two years ago, then Brayden yep. got it last year and you got it this year. So, I mean, <laughs> how how rare is it for, you know, a Colorado resident or even a non-resident to draw a tag like this? Yeah, well, I don't want to say we're lucky because after each time that I had been in the mountains, and I think for the most part for Fred and Braden, they would mirror this, is getting back into that mountain range, you know, was going to be too soon regardless of how many years had passed. It was that difficult of a hunt. Um, but... You know, that's a great question, Will, because I, I am getting a lot of questions about how this works for Colorado. And, and it's a little bit different than some of the states, but Colorado, you have to apply. Um, so Colorado has a big three for what the CPW call it. And those are moose, mountain goat, and bighorn sheep. That's mm-hmm. kind of their big three. And so it's a little bit different. You just, you have to apply, but you have to apply for three years before you are even entered into the lotto. Oh, wow. And so this, so this is a lottery system, but you almost have to qualify. And by qualifying, you have to have applied for three years or build um, three preference points. And so once you surpass that third year or on the third year, or once you have three, you can be entered in. And then at that point, it truly is a random lottery. And so, uh, I, you know, you hear people that say, yeah, I've been waiting 20 years for a sheep tag. How did you draw it so quick? Or, you know, certain things kind of come up and you got to take in consideration, you got to know all the pieces to that. Now, where are they applying? Because that matters. You know, are they applying for a uh, rifle or are they applying for archery? All that stuff kind of comes into play. So, but for the area that we all drew, and I will say, I think that the odds of drawing are, are you know, three years in a row of like Fred having it and then Braden having it. And then now me having it this year, obviously are fairly slim, or I would assume are fairly slim. Yeah. Um, but, but <laughs> Fred, I believe, and I don't quote me on this. I think Fred had seven or eight years of total points. Braden had eight or nine, and then I had five. So, you know, I drew it in five. So I I would say, you know, obviously a lot sooner than most people. Um, But I have known other people that have drawn this area as well that um, had under 10 points. So the sweet spot, I think, for this area um, the sheep tag is probably if you're in that seven to nine uh, point range, you've probably got a fairly good chance of drawing. And there's only I think this year there was eight resident tags for archery and then one non-resident. So there's only 10 or, or nine um, tags drawn out. Now, some of Colorado units only have one or two per unit. So you, you got to, you know, kind of weigh your options of what you want to do. And, and that's why I, I like to st- 
stay away from people calling it a once in a lifetime because there are once in a lifetime, like the moment you draw and fill, you are done. You'll never draw it again. I believe that was she or excuse me, Moose in Colorado. But, you know, I'm 36. And now that I have punched that tag and killed that ram, I think that I cannot apply for another five years, but then that three-year great or that three-year buildup period. So realistically, I will not be able to enter my name into the drawing or the lotto for another eight years. Wow. So I'm, well, and so I'm staying away from once in a lifetime because I'm fairly optimistic and I feel like, okay, that only puts me at 44 years old. <laughs> at least. I, 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 uh, yeah, I think that I can get my name in the hat. So if things kind of hold to be true about cheap hunting, you know, if I could, I might be f- mid 50s, early 60s, I could technically draw another tag. Now, I don't think I'll ever put in for the, for the unit that I was in just because it's such a brutal hunt. And so I, uh, you know, so, but I, I, I'm treading lightly on, you know, everyone likes to throw up this thing once in a lifetime. I'm treading lightly on that because I don't want, you know, I truly think that there could be a potential if I'm living in the state of Colorado as a mm-hmm. resident that I could draw it again. So, but. Man, I'd love to see that when you're 50, 50 something years old, <laughs> doing the same thing. Probably still going to have, yeah. you, you might have some gray hair. You might be a silver fox by then, but, uh. You know, get, get, uh, <laughs> get you another I'm big get, horn. I'm getting a few. I'm getting a few gray hairs now, so I don't know. Maybe I'd have the uh, the kill stash that I uh, normally grow up might be gray, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So you never know. You know, that's the the, the thing is is uh, there's always the chance. Um, now again, who knows what will happen in ten years? But there's always the chance that I would be able to draw again, and so I'm uh, I'm excited. Now I will also say. That doesn't include if you do not harvest an animal, um, you are able to put in for it after the three years. So you do not have to wait. Oh. So that is something, you know, when people, if, you, if you're if you not successful, you uh, you can be able to apply again. Okay. So, but, but yeah, it was very coincidental. But honestly, I will say that's a big part of my success is that I was able to put in so much time. Um, with Fred's hunt, when I was with, and, and when we say Fred, his name's Fred Bohm. He, he's, uh, you probably know him. He's, he's, uh, pretty, uh, he's pretty popular within the photography and outdoor industry. Um, but I was able to help him, help him out on his hunt. And, uh, is that we were talking about it this year when we were on my hunt, how many days that we had put in. And I, I think I counted between 32 and 34 days of scouting for sheep and hunting for sheep and i think i think i was in there about 14 days of his hunt um and then about you know 18 to 20 days into his uh into scouting which honestly kind of set us up and actually that really helped Braden out last year because we were able to not narrow down the areas but, but pretty close into a few different drainages uh and then the sheep hunting is a little bit different you know you're probably well aware as you find an OTC elk area or a mule deer area, you keep that as close to the chest. I mean, you don't even tell some of your good buddies. You probably don't even tell your wife no. where you're going, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh elk or uh sheep hunting is a little bit different because you're, 
you share information because it is such a limited tag. You're not necessarily, you know, keeping secrets. Um, yeah, you're not having so, to fight the masses. Right, right. And so the last two years, I was able to really talk to a lot of people that have either hunted that area or um, had the tag. And actually, I kind of felt like a bit of a, a jerk this year is, you know, when those tags were released out, everybody knew that I had spent so much time. And, and I'll just say it, the area that I hunted was uh, the, the unit was S9. It's no secret. I think everybody can be able to, if they want to, piece that together. Um, but I was getting individuals that were hitting me up and saying, hey, Joe, I drew this tag and can you help me? And I would be like, well, no. <laughs> and they were like, why? And I'm like, cause I drew it as well. And so it was a little bit different cause I'd love to help people. But this year I was kind of keeping the areas that Fred and I had been into or that Braden and I had been into and, um, and really kind of narrowed down and was able to find some really great rams. And that's also something that I, I hated about this. I didn't, I want to say hate, but I didn't like is I think people knew were following and knew kind of where I was going and, you know, what do I post? What do I don't post? And, uh, and it kind of stinks that I wasn't able to post some of the great, um, like spotting scope footage that I got of some of these ramps. Mm -hmm. I will after the season, because I, I did, I was able to get on some, some two big rams. And again, I don't know how big, I'm not really great on scoring sheep, but they were, uh, they were, they were very, very big. And so you, as the scouting went through, I had a pretty good game plan for where I was going to go, the drainage I was going to hunt, and, um, and how I was going to try to, uh, I guess, attack those rams or hunt those rams. Okay, okay. So I want to back it up a minute. You know, you, you drew this tag, you, you pull it out, of the, or you get the email from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and what did it mean to you? when you saw that like of course you're excited but like what did it mean to joe to get that tag <laughs> honestly i laughed and i'm like i had the oh shit i can't believe this happened <laughs> yeah. and and it was funny i uh i've told a lot of people this but every year like when we were on fred's hunt and unfortunately fred wasn't able to connect on a ram and kill a ram um at, at the end of it there's a saying in sheep hunting, or this is what I heard is you're going to know if you're a sheep hunter when you sheep hunted. And I left that mountain range going, I am not a sheep hunter. I had, uh, this was not enjoyable. It was the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I don't ever want to step foot back in this mountain range again. <laughs> and then Braden drew, you know, last year. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, all right, Hey, we're in it. And, and Braden killed pretty quick. I think he killed uh, on day, like hunt, uh, on his hunting days, like day five or six. Yeah, y'all did that but quick he, last year. Yeah, and actually the first weekend, he was rained out. Like the first four days, it, it was literally we could not see most of the time when we were glassing. And we actually elected to leave early just because these storms were coming in that were so bad. And it washed out the, the trails. Like they, the trails hiking in were already as nasty as they could be. Um, and I posted this video of Braden hiking out. And for about a mile, the water was so high that we were hiking out in about knee high water. Sheesh. And so it was just 
sweating the boots and everything. But, um, but yeah, we joked about after he had killed his ram and it was a real hard hike in hike out, probably the hardest that I've ever done. I was like, man, I never want to get back here. And I actually joked to them about, I don't think I'm going to apply for this unit. I knew a couple other units that were a little bit more accessible and Braden actually talked me out of it. He said, Joe, he's like, I get it. I don't want to go back up there because now I got to help you out when you do draw. But he's like, we know this unit like the back of our hands and we know the drainages. We know, you know, the different folds within those drainages and, and different areas in the terrain. Um, so he was like, dude, just do it. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Might as well. What can, what could, what could, uh, you know, what could hurt? And ultimately I drew. So the first thing that I had was that, oh shit feeling. Um, but then after that, it was almost obsessive and I really almost just obsessed with it. Um, my girlfriend would joke that even at dinners and stuff, she would look at my phone and she's like, what are you doing? And I would have the draw stats <laughs> up of like, um, cause Colorado posts that of like, what drainages have people harvested and killed sheep in? And so I was like, you know, I don't want to say I got a spreadsheet out, but I honestly, if you could quiz me, they posted it, I think from 2016, I basically could tell you every drainage of a ram that was killed from 2016 into last year. And I knew exactly where they were. And so that really helped out um, where I was going to start my hunt or where I was going to go. And, and the CPW is great. The biologists are all great. They want you to be successful. They set the tag numbers up for success. They want people to get in there because it is a conservation effort. They, they just don't want people to have horrible hunts. So they give this information to you to at least give you some starting points because um, I would say I'm also very fortunate. I was the third person that I helped. Uh, you know, I was the third person to, to draw it. So I had good starting references. I can only imagine someone that applied and they, they just were going off on a whim and drew it right away. And they've never even stepped foot in this area. I, I just don't know how they would be successful. I, I truly think that it would almost be an impossible effort at that point. Oof. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's an overwhelming feeling, honestly. And, and, and I think it, you, you all, I, I learned from what Fred experienced. I learned from how Braden handled it and I was able to kind of take it in stride. But, you know, I guess the one thing that I was thinking or what I did was I, I obsessed over it. It was almost, almost to a fault, I would say. Yeah, yeah dude, that's, that, that sheep hunt, man, that's, it's a different kind of hunt. So I think, I think some, a lot of people understand, especially like when they see the photos that like the guys that like you and Fred are taking when y'all are going on these hunts, like y'all are in some extreme terrain. And so talk to us about like what you did to get prepared, not only physically, but mentally knowing that you have to go back to this area that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So mentally it was easy because I already knew what I was putting myself into. There was going to be no surprises. Um, the basins that I was going to hunt or the drainages that I was going to hunt, I had already stepped foot in. Now uh, it's going to be the physical aspect. How are you going to handle that? And, you know, I started working out probably more cardio than I ever have. Mm -hmm. And that was, I was I, you know, you kind of saw me posting, I was doing these Versa climber classes. 
as much as I could in Denver at a place that, that has them. And that was just 30 minutes of a complete cardio, just ball buster of a workout. And, and that, I think, got me at least my lungs ready to go. Yeah. The thing I, I, I truly think a lot of people forget about is when you're doing these hikes or these hunts, these hikes in are not an hour, hour and a half. They're three to four. I mean, some of them are five hours long, seven, eight miles in. And you think about what your pack weighs. I know mine going in for the first eight days. So I had eight days of food, camp, bow. I didn't even bring in my camera because I knew Fred was going to be there. So any picture that I would take, his would his would be that next level above mine either way. So I left my camera at, at, at the truck, but it my pack was 65 pounds coming in. I don't think people truly understand how that fits on your body or hurts your body differently than just saying, I'm going to go do a 30 minute or an hour long hike. That's great. It's great training, but it's, it's, it's different. So when I was doing the scouting missions, I almost packed in more weight than I needed because I knew that this was going to be somewhat of my training, but it, it, a lot of it is mental. Once you're in there, you have no choice. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure people quit and stop, but it was like, I knew the end goal, where the camp was and how to get there. And it's just, you just got to get there. Yeah. And so there was really no, no question. And it also doesn't hurt that, you know, I had Fred um, on the hunt, but Braden helped me two weekends of scouting and you know, Braden Forsyth the guy is a stud. I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to quit. And, and I go, I know if, I, if he's not quitting either. Um, I also had another body, Tommy Connell. He's a stud. The guys, they push, they even push me. And these guys are probably some of the most fit guys and actually, you know, probably help me more than, than they even realize kind of getting in there on the hunt or through scouting. Dang, man. <laughs> This, this is next level, dude. This is next level. So, well, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to over dramatize it. it. You know, it is, but it, you know, you know, the mountains of Colorado. These oh, yeah. are just, you know, you know, when you're looking up at the peaks, going, oh, that's cool. I wonder why we get up there. Well, the sheep are probably up there, you know, <laughs> in the rocks and everything. So, but I don't want to make it seem like it's some unobtainable endeavor that mm -hmm. you know i'm some sort of hercules it's not it's just you know there's a lot there's just different things you need to think about as you're prepping or getting ready for these this type of hunt yeah and we can save that for another podcast too that'd be a good episode but walk us through walk us through the hunt man like that's that's what we got you here for i want to know like how it went down like i think i saw yeah. on your instagram am i mistaken did you miss I don't think I televised it, but I did miss. And okay. I'm not, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not one of those archery hunters that say that, that only show the good. I didn't televise it because I was pretty, I was pretty disappointed, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go over all of that. So, um, basically the hearts, the hunt started on a Monday, Monday, August 1st of this year. And Braden and I had already went into this area previously. Actually, this was the basin that Braden had killed in. And it just happened to be where we had seen the biggest ram. Mm -hmm. and, and it, and it, he was a true, true stud. I'll post videos of him. Um, 
so we saw him in our first scouting trip. And so I, I just said to myself, I, I think it, there was probably other areas I could have went into maybe a little bit easier, maybe a little bit easier to kill, but I wanted to give myself the effort or at least a chance to kill this big ram. And he also had a few buddies that were real nice as well. So I wasn't, it wasn't like I was going after one, just one sheep, but I was going to give it a good effort to try to kill that ram. Right. Um, so the first day, you know, like I said, it started on a Monday and I chose not to go in until Sunday just because of the mental drain. I was already planning on being in there seven to eight days. I think I planned potentially if we were on sheep, I could stay until nine with kind of rationing food, but I didn't want to get in there too early because, you know, okay, you see the sheep, what are you going to do? The sheep move so crazy and they move all over. You are really not pattering them. So we went in Sunday um, and got in there and didn't uh, didn't I don't even think he really glassed on much on Sunday. But Monday the opener, um, Braden picked up the band of sheep and and saw a couple. And then um, you know I'm sure people that have sheep hunted before, once you find one, all of a sudden all these others just start to kind of appear in the spotting scope because they're so well hidden in the rocks. Yeah. Um, but the hike in, I'll kind of back up the hike in just to get to camp to give some guy, I guess some guys some understanding of how, how this hunt went down was set a little over seven and a half miles just to get to camp. Um, and it took us about four, four hours, four fifteen to get in. It was, it was a, just a, a trudge of a hike. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, we're hiking in sand, we're hiking in deadfall, we're hiking through creeks. It, it, it's a, it's just a bitch. It was tough. <laughs> And then from there, you have about another 1,500 vert to get up to where we glass, probably 1,200 to 1,500, depending on where we glass from. And so that's just to even get into the areas to start seeing them. So first day, Braden picks them up in the afternoon, and we kind of made a game plan that the storms are rolling in. It really wasn't safe for me to get down the rocks through the scree to get in to hunt them. Um, and so we just kind of watched them and the next, and again, right at last light, like most sheep do, they made a huge move and a move that like would take us, you know, five hours to get to took them 10 minutes, not even five minutes. And they just kind of run and, and get into these crazy spots. And, and I don't know if it's something that all sheep hunters experience, but we were experiencing it right at last light they would make a mad dash to where they wanted to bet. And I don't know if it was a, a kind of a, a defense mechanism against predators. I, I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask a, a sheep biologist. <laughs> but um, so the next day we, we found them again and they did the exact same thing right at first light and we lost them. And so we actually picked up another ram um, two others and one was good and I was contemplating you know saying man is this guy a shooter and he was a very good ram and Fred and I went on a stock and I said Fred if you can film it I'll I'll try to shoot this ram and it was just so steep and so difficult that Fred and I were it was hard for us to kind of stay in line with each other but I got to about 71 72 yards of that ram I didn't even attempt to draw and get onto him. He was a good ram, but it was nice to kind of shake the jitters off a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I didn't see 
we and then right in the evening we saw the the group and it was a, a band of 12 with the big ones and we got some amazing video of them skylined and and it was really cool so the next but we couldn't hunt them then it was uh, it was just it would be too hard and almost they could see almost i would say 300 degrees around them and it was just almost unstoppable really so next day we picked them up again which is great you know we were on rams so this is the third day and fred went to one area to kind of get into a different like cut into the same drainage and braden and i went around and we picked up the rams and and Braden and I were watching them and we're like, man, if they bed there, there's not going to be a move. Maybe, and there was, they were kind of close to where they went yet the day prior where they bedded most of the day. And I remember telling Braden, I'm like, maybe I should just get up to this spine. It was like this, this kind of this spine ridge with a couple little benches on it. And he's like, yeah, why don't you? Well, in my eyes, I think I made a joke. I'm like, oh, I can get up there probably in five, 10 minutes. And Brady's like, dude, that's straight up. You're probably going to need at least 20 minutes. So I'm like, all right. So I start hoofing it. And Braden flags me and says, dude, they are coming. Like, you got to go. And so I made a mad dash up to the top. Ultimately, they still beat me. And they, ha- they made it in like uh, – I don't know, two, three minutes, like a half mile through street. And I mean, it was crazy at how quickly they got there. And I am huffing and puffing. Well, they, I think they caught my wind. I don't know, but I just heard rocks kind of below me. I couldn't see them. And I just caught a horn running around. And so I dropped over the opposite edge. And as I kind of came over the crest of the spine ridge, I see a horn. And so I sit down. And, you know, I'm not going to make any excuses. Everything was pretty perfect. I mean, I was now I was sitting and it was steep and I range. It was about 71 yards. And the only concern, you know, that I had was, number one, I was shaking like crazy from not only the adrenaline, but also like just running up a, a mountain and then running half down and, you know, the, that whole hoopla of doing that. But I couldn't get a good range as these sheep were kind of filing through. And I finally got a range on the big one and it was 71 yards. And when I, when I moved to come to full draw, he looked up at me and Mm. I was, you know, like, well, as I'm coming to full draw, I just kind of did that slow draw back. And what kind of messed with me was the angle from sitting, you know, not a lot of people, I don't think, you know, it was like a 31 degree angle, you know, you've never shot sitting in that angle. Not, not a lot of people even shoot that angle standing. And especially, you know, you down in Texas, you probably don't run into that at all. And uh, my concern was when I came to full draw is my cam, my lower cam hitting the rock. And so when I got to full draw, I anchored, everything was good. Now, yeah, I had the adrenaline going and and I think line of sight was only probably about 60 or, you know, low 60s um, yardage. So it wasn't crazy far, but, or maybe, excuse me, it probably was a little bit further, probably 82, but, you know, it was 71 with a cut of the distance. And it wasn't that, it was me coming down and checking that. Well, my whole anchor point shifted. And when I was, you know, going through my shock routine, my nose never hit the string. 
and I, and it kind of like, and he's looking at me and I think I shot right over his back and it was, it was really bright. I didn't see my arrow, but you know, you shoot and then there's that, that nothing in the air. And then all of a sudden I just see my arrow just go ping off of, off of the rock and gone. But what was the absolute gut wrencher is Braden and I both watched them run not only up and over two different the drainage inside this big drainage but then all the way around the mountain and gone and so that was wednesday so thursday we didn't see him friday we didn't see him and now this is where it really kind of turns into the mental game you're hiking up every day and sitting basically from sun up to sundown on this this nose and glassing the entire time. And I'll be honest, it, it got a little testy between, between, you know, Fred and Braden and I getting up at four, four fifteen every morning or four thirty, you know, making this big hike up. We had to bring up all our water. It wasn't easy. And then you mix in a mist, which obviously I was devastated for, but you also would, you know, I'm a big thing this is a team and and i let that team down yeah i have the tag and i want to kill him so they want me to kill but it was uh it was the that was real tough and i got real down and you know it was funny my like i said uh we had another buddy tommy coming in he actually came in on thursday and um brought beers for us (laughs) and so he hiked beers back and what was hilarious is one of those beers popped like he hit it on a branch and it soaked his lid of his pack and like soaked one of his uh like base layers it, it was pretty funny honestly hey but he you know, he definitely earned an invitation back to camp right oh man yeah for sure uh but i also feel bad because he also turned into our little whooping boy uh for the next couple of days because we were already you know pretty pretty upset with me missing and now we're not seeing any sheep and now you're you're playing the what if game should i leave should i stay so um but yeah we saw a couple small rams um to me you know not i, I didn't want to hunt those rams they were i think one was legal but uh but yeah so we ended up not seeing a sheep until and we left on that sunday we headed out Mm. and we, we were going to come back, but it was so nice to come back to town, sleep in a bed, have a burger or two or three, have some beers or two or three, and, uh, and then Fred, Braden, and I went back in um, on Wednesday. So now I'm a week and a half into the hunt when we get back in there, and uh, I would say, you know, re-energized. I, I think Fred was, you know, we all were just excited to be back in there, um, in that first night, we didn't see a thing. And I will tell you, it was like from the high of like, Hey, those sheep are going to be back in there. Now we know that we're going to get on them again. And I'm going to make this shot count to not seeing anything. And I was like from zero to a hundred. I, I was even texting my dad, like, Hey, if I don't see sheep here, my hunt might be over. I, I just don't know how much more I can give, you, you know, coming in there. So, um, that was brutal. And I will say that's another thing is just some mental games of saying, Hey, if you have the time and you're there, try to stay positive, but it is so, so difficult to do. Um, and then, uh, the next morning 
we glass again, don't see anything. And uh, I'm just like, I honestly wanted to throw in the towel. I'm like, I need more than a couple day break. Get me the hell out of this mountain range. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, Braden found him again, which, which I'll make a kind of a little, little shade at Braden. He's normally not the one seeing the animals. So I was, I was just <laughs> genuinely impressed with him that he was, he was glassing up these animals. So he, he earned his keep. Um, but, uh, but we found, a, a I think it was a different band of rams. And again, I don't know. There was only five of them. Um, but I, it, they, the big one wasn't in there, but there was two good, respectable rams that were in this group. And what actually threw us for a little bit of a loop is they were mixed in with the elk. There was an elk herd. It was very bizarre. Normally they kind of like, you know, get away from each other. or That's what we had seen. Dang. And they were right in there. And actually, I think that's why we missed them is we weren't, we're like, oh, shoot, there's elk on that face. Nah, they're probably not going to be sheep in there. And then, you know, Braden making the rounds on his gla- from his glassing spot picked him up again. So, um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty fortunate to actually find them. And then, you know, I made the, the decision to say, you know what a bird in the hands better tune the bush let, let let me just go try to get a stock on these on these sheep let me just go make an effort to see if i can put myself in a in a killing position and yeah. then kind of take it from there mm-hmm. so so you know but that was a you know just like when you look on maps or when you're looking at an area through glass and you're like oh that'd be a pretty easy hike oh my god this hike was brutal it was straight up and about, I think it was, I had to lose about a thousand or 1200 feet and then basically up about 1400. Yeah. And, um, I remember Braden had making a comment. They're like, man, I didn't think it would take that long. And then ultimately when they had to make that hike up, they were like, all right, Joe, I know why it took you that long. That was an absolute ass kick. But so so I got up and, and basically I'll kind of lay out, it was this little hidden, like high hung basin. Like it, it was above the other basins, but it was basically hidden. And on the, I guess the West side of it had a line of trees that were probably 70 yards long by 30 yards or 20 yards wide. And then it dropped down a, a cliff and I didn't know how steep it was, but um, and then it went basically into like a scree rock field and then it hit the bottom of the basin. Mm. And when we were looking on our maps and kind of doing the line calculations, we're like, man, I don't think you're going to get a shot from those trees. You're going to have to climb or find a way down off this cliff if the sheep don't move. And so when I was going in, I'm like, all right, I kind of put it into step. Step one, just get to their level. And, and if they're still there, awesome. Step two, m- you know, move your way through the trees. And I'll be honest, I don't know how those trees grew. It was so steep. I, I, it was, it, you know, the only thing that made me comfort is that I was like, well, if I slip and fall, I'm going to be able to at least grab a tree. And I'm like, that was step two. Step three, let's get to the edge and just start, you know, kind of ranging and seeing where where these sheep might be and i took a picture you know through this through my phone through the spotting scope so i knew exactly where they were bedded or pretty close i would say Mm. and when i got to the edge 
I'm like, I ranged and I'm like, well, well shoot, the bottom of the basin's only 130 yards. And then I ranged like where they would be. I'm like, they're going to be under 70, 80 yards here. I'm like, I go, wow, this is way steeper than I thought. And as I'm picking around and I got to the last tree of where I wanted to get, I was glassing and I wasn't seeing them. And I'm like, well, they either have got to move, but I'm just going to make sure that I do my due diligence and scan through the rocks and everything. And I, of course, it's so steep. And I, as I kind of move my feet, I'm like, man, I got to get a better, a better, you know, footing. Yeah. And I just take one step out and just like, always whether you're deer hunting or elk hunting you take that step out and then boom there they are and so i literally was looking through my binos and as i took a step out and i'm in the wide open at this point i mean there's a there's one little scrub pine you know to my left about two feet or a yard away and i'm like shifting my feet around and i'm looking through the binos and all of a sudden the ram is just right in the center of my binos and he was looking at me, but he didn't know. It was just, I think it was the way he was bedded, but the way I looked at him, I'm like, I am pegged. I am in the wide open. The sun is blaring on me. I'm like, I'm probably glistening up here like a beacon. And, you know, ultimately the, you know, I, he didn't see me. And so I'm like, all right. I'm like, dang, that's far. But then I put the range on it. It was only 77 and a half yards. And I was like, well, this is, I, I feel totally comfortable out here. And I'm like, okay, it was the, it was the small, there was one ram that probably was a little bit bigger, but they looked very similar. Um, you know, the other one had a little longer horns, but didn't have the mass. Yeah. This one had a little bit more mass, but seemed to be a little bit more broomed off. And um, so I get there, I'm like 77. I'm like, all right, if this guy lets me knock an arrow, you know, put my release on, come, you know, I'm going through all the steps. I go, if he lets me kind of keep going through these steps, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take this animal. So, but in the middle of that, and I don't know if he saw me move or if he just got up to, to shift his bed. I, I'm not sure, but he got up and stood completely broadside. And at that point, I was able to get all of my, the range dialed on my site, the arrow knocked, my release on, I reconfirmed the range. But when he shifted, there was two big boulders that were two, basically from me to him away, but were like he was bedding under that, kind of getting in the shade. But there was a V in those boulders and his head was half covered in his, you know, so I was like, well, geez, I'm like, I don't think he's going to be able to see me draw at all. Like I I'm basically good to go. So I just said, Hey, if I draw and uh, you know, the site comes in everything, you know, my anchor, it feels good. I'm, you know, and at this point I really wasn't too, you know, I wasn't shaking at all. I was kind of like a disbelief. This was even going to be an option. And it's funny. I talked to Braden and Fred before, I think Braden put it at about a 1% chance. I would get in and even get a shot at this ramp. But he was also thinking that it was going to be a lot further, but he was like, so they were watching me through the binos and and they, you know, they had their, you know, the the handkerchief out and and a seat pad that was orange. So they kind of were signaling me of that. They were still there. And obviously they didn't know that I saw it. And so 
I'm like, well, you know what? I go, worst case, and I even say this because it's not the worst case, but I, in my mind, the worst case was if I miss this ram, I, I go, he's not going to know what happened, and maybe he would go and re-bet in a better, more stockable spot. Yeah. Obviously, as I say that out loud, the worst case would be me wounding the animal and ultimately not finding it. I get that because I said that on another podcast, and I, as I said, I was like, you know what? probably not the smartest thing to say but in my mind that's what i was thinking so um so yeah i came back to full draw and, and it wasn't windy everything just felt good Every, you know you know when you get on those shots and just everything kind of lines up you know how it should yeah you, and it's uh, like you just know yeah yeah and so i you know was the one thought in my mind was wow that seems a lot further than 77 and, uh, but it was everything settled pretty good. And so I let the shot off and now I didn't hit him. You know, it wasn't a 12 ring. I'll tell you that, but I was able to, I think what I caught was a femoral artery because he didn't know what happened. And as the shot broke, obviously it always takes longer, you know, in your mind, things slow down. And when I shot, I'm like, Oh, I missed the arrow should have hit. And then you hear that you know the 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 sound of your arrow connecting with an animal yeah and uh and i had hit him high and back but it clipped the femoral and when he bounded off that little rock shelf i could see like when he stopped about 20 25 yards away he kind of wheeled around he didn't know what happened and when he wheeled around and looked up back up at the hill or up the mountain the blood just was pouring and i'm like okay he, he's done and so he he ultimately fell down there and then and then you know bedded down and, and ultimately you know it was, a, it was he bled out and he was done but he yeah it was so from the where i shot took place i think i rearranged and it was about 120 yards so you know a little bit further but what was funny is as i talked to Braden and fred after they realized where i was and the sheep and Braden had his glass on it and Fred went back to go grab the phone cam to, to film it. And Fred goes, or Braden goes, oh, shit. I go, Joe, just, there's an arrow in it. Like, they had no idea that I was even, you know, able to shoot. And I think they probably thought that I took a shot at 150 yards just winging it. But no, I didn't. Because in their mind, they were like, that's so far away. But once you got into that basin, you realized everything was just so much tighter. So... So yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I, I mean, obviously I'm thrilled with it, you know, hindsight, you know, I gave myself the, the time on the big ramp and I, and I got the opportunity and that's all I can ask. Mm -hmm. I said, everybody goes, what are you going to dictate your hunt? Is it going to be a kill or like success? Is it going to be a kill? Is it not? I go, all I'm looking for is an opportunity. I want, I work too hard, not, I just want one. And I think that's why I was so devastated when I missed because I don't, some people don't even get one opportunity in this hunt. It, it, you know, so I thought at that point it was done. But so, yeah, the Ram, um, I, you know, ultimately you have to go get it checked in at the C, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, the CPW office. They put a plug into it um, and they age the Ram at seven. The, the guy there said, yeah, it could be eight. You know, there's there's those like false growth lines, all that stuff. But. So I say, you know, seven, eight-year-old ram, very respectable, three-quarter curl. Um, I, I don't, I haven't scored him yet. Not really too concerned with the score, just because Colorado's not known for giant rams. It's known for the adventure, 
the opportunity and, and quite honestly, just saying, Hey, I killed a bighorn sheep. So, but yeah, so that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. Obviously there was a lot of, there was some laughs. There was some, you know, I'll say I, there were some tears when I missed, there were some tears when I, when I shot it, you know, the, you know, it was a roller coaster of emotions, uh, you know, in a sheep hunt for sure. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it sounds like it for sure. Lots of blood, sweat and tears were put into this. It sounds like. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, but you know, that was, that was great to have Fred and Braden there. And, and actually I'll, I'll bring this up and it's something that in the moment I didn't really realize, but Braden posted, um, this on his Instagram. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. But he, uh, you know, Fred was taking all the, the, the hero shots and everything that I'll be posting about my, my sheep and, and, and Braden was sitting in the back and I could see him on his phone taking pictures and stuff and uh he posted this so where i killed mine and i'm taking a photo of the hero you know shot in the background is where Braden's sheep died and where he killed his and then the next slide is a picture of his ram in the background of mine so i thought that was really cool that Braden, i was there with Braden. Braden was with me and ultimately we had killed both of our sheep across the drainage from each other and are in both of our pictures, which I thought was pretty cool. Heck yeah, man. That's a pretty cool story there. So yeah, what I want to ask you is, you know, there's probably a couple guys that are listening to this because they're wanting to find out something to go chase after bighorn sheep themselves. They may have just drawn a tag. They might be listening to this a year after, you know, we've, we've put this up and what kind of advice would you give that guy or girl that has pulled that tag just like you did and they want to go kill one? What are you going to tell them? Um, well, number one, I would say spend as much time as possible. Um, and also, I think that's twofold. Now, I'll kind of, I'll say this in a sense. I feel more apt and willing to share information with people that are putting in the work. And so if you're scouting and you're putting in the effort and everything, I think, and you're showing maybe people like me, past hunters that maybe have the knowledge I'm going to be more willing to kind of give that because I, let's say, you know, Will, you drew the tag Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll give you two scenarios. Will, you drew the tag and all you've done is call me up and go, Hey, Joe, I drew this tag. I need help now because you and I are buddies. I'll give you all the information either way. But if you were a stranger, let's say, I would probably ask you, well, have you been in the unit? Have you scouted? And if the answer is no, I was going to get there or maybe you hear these excuses. And and I have heard this. I actually know people that have had this tag and they haven't done anything. And what they're hoping for is that easy handout. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you all of the information because I don't think you're going to put the effort in to do it. So I would say get, make the effort to do that. And then in return, I think people will be more willing to help you. Um, and that's just something that's can be kind of weighing on my mind as people tell me, they're like, Joe, wow, you earned this. That's been a big thing that I, and again, I do think that I have, but I, I also like to say we have like Fred earned this, Braden earned this because without them, it really wouldn't be possible. And, and Tommy as well. And so that's the other thing I'll say is when you're 
look, let's say you drew a tag or looking at drawing a tag. Look at, I think sheep hunting, and I also think most hunting is more enjoyable with a group or a team. Oh, and yeah. Sheep hunting, especially, um, is who is going to be on your team. And you need to find someone or people that are committed and that are going to hold you accountable, meaning like they're not going to sit. Like, if I would say, I want to get out, I, I needed to know that Braden and Fred would go, Joe, that's not the right move that are going to hold you accountable. Joe, you plan on staying in your five days. Damn it. You're staying in here five days, you know, barring an injury or an illness or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but holding you accountable to stay in. Um, But then also people that have the same mindset that, that aren't just there because they, you know, are there for personal reasons that ultimately are there, are there for you to be successful, that yes. have your best interest at heart. And that is such a tough thing to find in a hunter or a hunting partner these days, because ultimately you're a hunter for a reason. You personally want to harvest and kill an animal, but in this type of tag, you gotta be, they, they just have to be on the same wavelength as you, um, you know, and just having the same mentality as you as well. Um, so those are kind of some of the, I guess, intangible things that I would say and give advice on the tangible stuff, physical fitness, you hiking just down the road and this and that isn't going to do it. Put yourself into different workout classes. I think, you know, you hit me up one time. You're like, what the heck are you doing on this first? What type (laughs) of class is that? You're like, what is this? And I'm like, it was something, you know, I I was fortunate because my girlfriend Beth, she owns the gym. So I, by default, I had to do it. But then I realized, I'm like, damn, this is a good workout. And actually now I'm bringing, I brought Braden, I brought Tommy, like I'm getting my, my hunting crew into this saying, Hey guys, this is a good workout to get, you know, in mountain shape or, or I guess, quote unquote, sheep shape. Um, you know, so physical fitness obviously is, is a must in any type of mountain hunting, but even, you know, exponentially more in sheep hunting. Um, the other thing is, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people might have the options to, but shooting your bow at angles, you know, whether it's going to the tack events or finding a range that you can get these different angles. And and I'll give a shout out to Braden. Braden is a member at a a range up here in, uh, in Boulder that is literally on a a mountainside and he was so willing to take me up there as much as possible. And that helped me. Not only did it help me understand my fault, but it also helped me understand the changes that your bow will do when you're at nine, 10,000 feet and you're shooting at a, you know, a 30, 35, 36 degree angle. Like my shot was, my shot was, you know, 77 and a half yards with my angle compensator on the, on the, on the range finder. And then I switched it after I shot. Cause I was like, dang, how far is that? And line of sight was 98.5. So, you know, those are the type of shots that you're going to be encountering when sheep hunting, at least in the area that I was in. Um, and I set up my whole bow setup for that. You know, I have a dial, um, you know, you dial the range on your site. So if it's 50, you set the pin to 50. If it's 80, you set the pin to 80. A lot of people set their peep height to, you know, halo the, the site housing and, and maybe 
some of your listeners, you know, that this might be a little bit foreign if they're whitetailed, but you know, out west, we shoot at big diff, uh, distances. And when, especially like at attack event, you might push it out to 100, 110 yards. And people probably struggled with, man, my anchor point doesn't feel the same when I shoot at 30 when I'm out at 70. Well, that's because you want to always, you know, halo your peep to your site housing. So I, I made some adjustments to be able to have it be more comfortable for me out at 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 yard shots. Um, and not saying I was wanting to take a 100 yard shot, but I like this shot. I was very methodical in saying, if this felt good, if that felt good, okay, that's going to be check, check. Now to the next thing, everything felt good. And then was able to make the shot. Like if it was windy, if there was something that didn't feel good, the fortunate thing about that is the sheep's head was behind a bullet. I could have let down and maybe shifted my feet a little bit or re re put the bow into my grip a little bit better to be so it bubbles easier. And I'm not, I'm not torquing the bow, all that stuff. Like for you and I who kind of geek out on archery, those are the things that I guess subconsciously happen because of repetition and practice. Yeah. But for someone that maybe hasn't done it, those are things that I want people to be conscious of when you're practicing, practicing with a purpose. So just different things that I, I, and again, you asked for one thing, I gave you four or five, but those are some things that, you know, I think a person that maybe hasn't done it that are thinking about applying, those are things to think about. And especially if you drew the dang tag, you better start thinking about it because I think we got it like May 1st or something or or maybe the last week in April. Mm-hmm. And if you truly think about it, if let's say it's just May 1st. So you have May, June, July. So you have three months of prep. And then August, you're go. You're hunting. It's go time. And you know, most, of, most of July, you're scouting. So it's like you have two months and a lot of people don't even dust their bow off until June or July to start for, for fall hunting. So it's like, this is something, if you're interested in it, archery should be a year long endeavor for you because once you draw that tag and you're not comfortable in your setup, you're too late. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can't wait. You can't wait. Well, brother, man, I love this story. I loved getting to hear about this. I was like, man, I really want to hear how he killed that, that sheep. I, I want to know. And I'm like, you know what? We're saving that for a podcast. So, no, man. man, that's great. I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, ultimately, I wish uh, I wish we'd have been having this podcast a week earlier with that big ram. But you know what? It is what it is. Hey. So always, always the things to look back on. And, and you know, I, I can uh, hopefully I'll draw the tag again in 10, 15 years and get back up there. So. Heck yeah, man. Or maybe if I draw it here in like three years or so, you want to go with me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know what? I will encourage you into a different area, but you know, if you draw, I'll definitely be there. It's uh, I, we joke about our, uh, uh, I mentioned Tommy, he, uh, he's like saying he wants to draw. And I, and I actually shot archery with him this morning. And I said, Tommy, can you just get that out of your mind? Let's just find a different unit that we can maybe drive to or four wheeler to. And he's like, Nope. And I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I'm, I'm sure by the end of the hunting season, I'll be I'll be itching to get back into that mountain range at some point, so yep. it won't be so bad. You'll be ready for it. Well, man, congrats again on killing that, Thanks. accomplishing that. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be a 
a two-time once-in-a-lifetime hunt for you years down the road but man just congrats again and thanks for hopping on the podcast with me yeah man i really appreciate that and thanks for having me on again man i always enjoy it all right y'all there you have it mr joe appreciate his time for coming on and talking to us about this hunt and if you're interested in trying to get a tag like this yourself you heard it from joe himself you better get started now because it's no easy feat and it's not easy killing an animal of this caliber and so we just want to thank joe for hopping on here talking to us about this and y'all we appreciate y'all support of listening to the hunt stand podcast i love doing this i love getting to talk to all these guys and gals if you got any questions or things that you want me to talk about or topics that you think i need to cover send me an email podcast at huntstand.com we really appreciate your support and for tuning into this episode of field note fridays powered by Botech, and we'll see you on the next one